This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, I'm Nitin Zim for the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. In today's Out of the Blue podcast, we will discuss a must-read report for all of us who care for patients with COPD, the Global Strategy for the Diagnosis, Management, and Prevention of COPD, or GOLD 2017 report, was recently published in the AJRCCM. I'm excited to discuss the report with Dr. Visha Venjiha, the editor of the Blue Journal, as well as a member of the GOLD Science Committee. Visha, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. So I wanted to start to give the listeners some historical perspective. Your esteemed group reviewed the COPD literature through October of 2016 and rewrote the report based on the available data. I wanted to ask you a couple things. First, can you clarify the distinction between this being a report as opposed to a guideline? And secondly, can you tell us what you found in the literature in the interim since a prior GOLD report publication? So thank you very much. So the GOLD report is really a strategic document. While a guideline, the evidence base for a guideline is of course much, much stronger and used formalized methodological techniques for analysis of, of publications such as the GRADE tool. So the gold report is not a formal guideline it is a strategic document and a document that is intended to be relevant globally so when some of you read it you may feel well that's maybe a little bit simple or we should have done this in a different way it's been written to appeal right across the world to all um to as many communities as possible now Gold was initially set up in 1998 in order to increase the sort of relevance and the profile of COPD. And COPD was regarded as not an important condition if we go back 20 years ago. And Gold has been hugely successful and hugely influential in spreading the important message about COPD, how important it is to stop smoking and treat this condition. So originally, 1998, the Gold Committee was set up. I personally was not a member of this committee till um, the, last, um, the last few years. And in 2001, the first document was produced. Now, what is also really important about Gold is it's had yearly updates. Literature changes. And every five years, there is a major rewrite. So we had one in 2006 another one in 2011, and now we have the 2017 document that was launched in full at the end of the year and is now online as an executive summary. So every five years, there's a sufficient amount of data out there for a major rewrite. And this time, there was very important new data on the assessment of COPD outcomes. There were a number of very important clinical trials that have been published um, in the last five years, 
also importance of comorbidity and non-pharmacological techniques. So we had a wealth of data to call on. Well, thank you for that sort of brief history. And I, and I think just as a reader, it is much easier for me to read one of these gold reports as opposed to, you know, the rigorous grade-based guidelines. And one of the important things for those of us who care for patients, be easy to read and, and implement the, the changes that have been recommended. I'd like to then now follow up regarding what I see as one of the largest changes in gold, and it relates to how spirometry is used for diagnosis and treatment of COPD. So could you tell us what specific changes occurred and what was the rationale behind those changes? Yes. So uh, those of you who have followed gold will know that in 2011, we suggested a new classification of basically symptomatic um, disability and risk based on an A, B, C, D criteria. And I think this was quite controversial, but it has really been accepted into the management of COPD. However, spirometry was part of the ABCD criteria. And what we did is that we have refined the ABCD assessment tool. And this is in, well, for those of you who will be looking at the document, in figure two of the summary. And what you will say is that what we suggest is that you first spirometrically confirm the diagnosis. You use spirometry to confirm a diagnosis of COPD. And then you use the gold one, two, three, four grades that we had previously um, established. So gold four, less than 30, gold three, 30 to 45, two, 50 to 79, gold one, more than 80. So once you've actually shown that you have COPD, you then use the ABCD system. Now, the ABCD system is based on symptoms and exacerbation risk only. So we've got lung function, we then look at symptoms, so if you are more symptomatic, so the COPD assessment test, the CAT is more than 10, you get a B or a D category. If you have less symptoms, you get an A or a C category. And if you have um, a significant history of exacerbations or hospital admission, you go into the C and D category. So we have made this much more simpler, really to emphasize the importance of spirometry. But then when you decide on therapy and follow up a therapy, we do not use FEV1 to guide therapy in COPD. We use symptoms and exacerbations, because as you know, in COPD, FEV1 is relatively fixed. So I think this has been an important step to separate out the initial diagnosis, and then what you do about treatment and further follow-up. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense, and, and that's a step forward, you know, treat the patient, not the PFTs. Um, and and I, just to follow up on that, are there exceptions in which spirometry should be used as a threshold for consideration of treatments? And, and if so, which ones and why? Well, Exactly. So thresholds had been used uh, for therapy and the usual threshold that had been used is an FEV1 below 50% predicted or 
above 50% predicted. And indeed, that, that is what was used in the original A, B, C, and D. Now, the therapies that are used if the FEV1 is below 50% predicted are anti-inflammatory therapies. And that includes inhaled corticosteroids, which in COPD we use um, as a combination with a long-acting beta agonist. So that's the LABA ICS. Or the new therapy, the phosphodiesterase E4 inhibitor called Reflumalast. Now, Reflumalast was noted in all the early legacy studies that it worked better in the more severe population and patients also who had a history of exacerbations and chronic bronchitis. So I think the indication for Reflumalast will stay below 50% um, predicted. I think that for patients for inhaled corticosteroids, that will gradually change as we're getting more information now on how anti-inflammatories work in more moderate disease. Of course, for patients with early or mild moderate disease, we use um, bronchodilators. But certainly, some patients in those categories will also benefit from early introduction of anti-inflammatory disease. Most of the studies on exacerbation prevention have been performed with an FEV1 below 50% predicted. It is only now that that level is being widened. Well, thank you for that clarification. Uh, I wanted to talk about exacerbations for a moment because obviously, as you said, there's been several important studies regarding COPD and exacerbations, either time to or number of, are an important endpoint in, in nearly all COPD trials. Um, your group with GOLD modified the definition of exacerbation in the 2017 GOLD report. I think that's an important thing to discuss in the context of, of clinical trials. So what changes were made and why were they made? Well, I, I think there was a general view that we wanted to simplify all our definitions. We reworded and slightly simplified the COPD definition. And when, it, when we looked at the COPD exacerbation definition, we now called it an acute worsening of symptoms. We had data on beyond normal day-to-day -day variation and as i often say in my talks if you know if you know what beyond day-to-day -day variation in cvpd is you're doing really rather well i think that's a really difficult concept we know patients vary but we we, we basically left it at acute worsening of symptoms and the requirement for additional therapy so if you just are at home you have mild, you have mild exacerbations increasing just your inhaled therapy, moderate exacerbations when you need oral steroids and antibiotics, severe exacerbations requiring hospital admissions. I really thought that by 2017, 16 or 17, we would have a biomarker of an exacerbation, but sadly we haven't got one. And that is because of the heterogeneity of the disease. And for those of you interested in the field, there is a paper about biomarkers for exacerbation frequency that, that is um, about to be published. Um, it's already online in the Blue Journal and comes from the COPD Gene and Spiromics Consortia. And in fact, we did, I did the editorial with one of my colleagues here. And I think despite a lot of effort, we still have not got our biomarkers of an exacerbation 
or of predicting who is at risk of exacerbation. So we are left with symptomatic, um, symptomatic definitions. Uh, yes, I, th I think that's uh, an important point to make, and uh, we can also post the link to the, the COPD biomarker study at the bottom of the podcast page on the Blue Journal website, in addition to the link to the Gold Report 2017. Another change noted in the 2017 report was more specific guidance regarding stepping up or stepping down pharmacotherapy in COPD, similar to what we see in asthma guidelines that that clinicians find very helpful. Could you talk us through the step up and step down recommendations and the thought process behind that? So th this is really a key feature of the new guideline is that we, in the past, we, Gold had just suggested, you know, um, preferred one, preferred two treatment, etc. But this time we tried to actually put this and try and show some pathways. So what we did was we looked in turn at each of the A, B, C and D and for instance in A and B the key treatments are bronchodilators but one of the changes that has really occurred over the last five years has been the development of dual bronchodilators. Now um, these are compounds which are dual bronchodilators given in the same inhaler. You could always give them in two separate inhalers. So that means that that class of compound will be used much more. We really had to fit these into the pathway. So for A and B, we, we, we made the point that bronchodilators are used, that we always prefer long-acting bronchodilators rather than short-acting. And in the group B, we suggested actually starting with one, either a LAMA or a LABA. We really felt there was enough evidence yet to say start with dual that will come. And then when we, when we got to the, um, to the exacerbation, um, to the patients with exacerbation risk in C and D, the pathways there are much more complicated. And I think there was a feeling that in COPD, everything is always escalated and it wasn't ever de-escalated. And what we do is we show that we would start, let's say, in the higher risk group now with a dual bronchodilator, and we show preferred arrows to preferred treatments. So you can escalate up to the triple. You can then escalate up to reflumolast, the phosphodiesterase inhibitor I already spoke about, or a macrolide antibiotic can also be used. But we also show that if these are not working or not appropriate, that you can actually reduce treatment. Now, we have some data on this in COPD, but not as much as in asthma. Indeed, we're very short on treatment on how to escalate and de-escalate. There are a few studies on inhaled steroid withdrawal, but that is it. And this, I think, is a gap in the, in the evidence base that will need to be corrected. So I hope this will be useful. And I think for those of you who may not quite agree with us, this is going to evolve with time. So, for instance, towards the end of 2017, we're going to have data on triple therapy coming out. And that will tell us in more detail when we should probably escalate uh, therapy and in which type of patients. So 
I, a couple of things I wanted to follow up. I think personally, some guidance on de-escalating treatment is, is appreciated by many of us who care for patients with COPD because, frankly, patients get frustrated by the number of inhaled treatments they have. So I, I think that was a welcome change. Uh, in terms of escalating treatment, I did want to ask maybe a little bit of inside baseball. You know, um, in terms of uh, you know how much evidence there is to sort of guide your report recommendations. You know, you had the paper in the New England Journal about combination labalama compared to laba ICS and showing beneficial effects of the labalama group. Um, so when does the cutoff of that sort of data and you know enter into the report and then when do you say we don't have enough data and we need to maybe wait for the next report well certainly the inclusion of the dual bronchodilator the labra lama as basically the key therapy or first line therapy in these more severe patients at risk so these are patients who are symptomatic and at risk of hospital admission or um, one or two exacerbations per year. Um, that was very much guided by the flame data because that showed a there was you know very clear and consistent superiority of the dual bronchodilator against the LABA um, ICS. Where there is a gap of knowledge is really over triple therapy, and there have been really no studies where a dual bronchodilator has been compared against triple therapy. Now, as I said, there are two big studies on exacerbation outcomes that will report towards the end of the year. But, but I think what will be important about those studies is telling us under what circumstances and which patients will actually need the escalation. Then we did have some data when it came to reflumolas and macrolides because those studies two big studies where reflumolas was added to inhaled corticosteroids so there the evidence was was there but we would still use reflumolas and macrolides after optimal inhaled therapy so there are some gaps the big gap is about triple therapy well that's very helpful to to clarify and hopefully we'll have more data, as you said, uh, within the next year or so. Uh, as we wrap up the podcast, I wanted to ask you to expand on something you talked about uh, at the beginning of our discussion, specifically regarding uh, the discussion of the importance of comorbidities. And I think, as you mentioned, a shift to patient symptoms and a recognition of comorbidities, very important in the management of our patients with COPD. So how does the 2017 goal report change in terms of the emphasis of, uh, of, uh, of paying attention to patient comorbidities? Well, you know, comorbidities were always in the gold report, but this time we've given them a central prominent, uh, prominent place and also made the point that when you assess severity of COPD, not only do you do FEV1 symptoms and exacerbations, but you look at comorbidity. And particularly cardiovascular um, comorbidity is very important. I think the message that comes from the Gold Report is that you treat comorbidities in COPD as if the patient didn't have COPD. And here I will particularly allude to beta blockers. Um, you know, I was taught be careful with beta blockers in COPD. People go off and get bronchospasm. Well, I've used a lot of beta blockers and haven't seen 
much bronchus spasm in COPD because patients have pretty fixed airflow obstruction. And we now have a lot of data to suggest that if you are on a beta blocker with COPD, you actually have a much better outcome, um, both if you're admitted with an acute exacerbation and you actually are admitted with a myocardial infarct. And we have two large studies, one in the UK, one in the US, which is being performed to see if beta blockers actually influence exacerbation frequencies. So th this is very important and we must not, you know, reduce our therapy of comorbidities because somebody has COPD. I think the other very interesting part of the new um, gold document is there is a very good section on non-pharmacological therapies, which I really would recommend, pulmonary rehabilitation, looking at hospital at home service, um, and which is important because we are changing our service models for COPD, but also I'd really commend the section on, on lung volume reduction surgery, on bron bronchoscopic lung volume reduction, and valves. And I, yeah, I think you will enjoy that. And again, these sections will evolve as we gather more evidence. Well, and I, I will tell you that I remember reading the, the last gold report and uh, talking about the frequent exacerbator group. And I've certainly made sure to change my practice. Those patients who are frequent exacerbators have uh, relatively preserved uh, FEV1, really screening them aggressively for cardiac disease and making sure to implement, as you say, the appropriate treatments for cardiac disease and not using COPD as an excuse not to give them the appropriate treatments for um, for the potential cardiac disease. Uh, as we wrap up now, were there any other uh, findings of the report you find no noteworthy and you would like to direct our listeners to when they read the full report that's published on the AGRCCM website? Well, I think that the only last thing I'd say is that we've talked quite a bit about active treatment of COPD and exacerbations. Don't forget about prevention. And prevention is wide from um, lifestyle advice, smoking, nutrition, um, vaccination. So I think that that is also a message which is strong um, and applies to communities all over the world, pollution control. Um, and um, also is very important in certain countries in reducing exacerbations. So I think that would be my last measure, that prevention is key in improving the morbidity and mortality of COPD. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time, Dr. Vinjiha, to discuss this important report. Uh, that is a must read for all of us who manage patients with COPD. On the podcast homepage, as I mentioned, We'll have a link to the entire summary of the Gold Report, and we encourage our listeners to subscribe to the Out of the Blue podcast on iTunes, or you can come to the ATS Journal's homepage and go to the Blue Journal page and listen to the podcast directly there. Thank you again, and I'm Nitin Seem for the Blue Journal. <laughs>